Well, good morning. It's fun doing a little maze to get up here from all the instrumentalists back there. But uh, I'm Jonathan. I'm the community and discipleship pastor here at Five Oaks, and I'm glad to be with you. Uh, we ha- are in the sixth week of a series called Dying Words. We've been working our way through the book of Second Peter, and we're finally moving into chapter two today. But before we look at the text for us this morning, uh, last month marked the 40th anniversary of a great movie. Uh, one our family watched together for the first time this week, and I was the only one who had seen it before. And I kept a secret from them, that it's a Star Wars movie. And you're going, well, how'd you keep that a secret? Well, the movie is E.T., the extraterrestrial. And you're going, what? Okay, before you start questioning, well, let let me just give you some points here. First, E.T. is an alien. There's one. Two, E.T. has force powers. Remember, he puts the little balls in the air to kind of show the planets right over the kids' heads. Three, E.T. has healing powers. He heals Elliot's finger. Number four, he can help them fly through the air. Amazing force powers. Therefore, E.T., he's a Jedi. He is. I mean, E.T. is a Jedi. Okay, I can tell you're laughing, but not really convinced. Okay, here's another scene in the movie. E.T. is dressed up like a ghost pretending to be the little sister, and he sees a kid dressed up like Yoda. He shows obvious signs of knowing that alien race, and even says, home, 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 in responding to seeing Yoda. Okay, I got one more for you. This is going to seal the deal. Last one. This is in episode one, the Phantom Menace in the Senate scene of all the different alien races represented. If you look very carefully, it's E.T. I mean, it's the alien race. Like, okay, so E.T. is a Jedi. E.T. is a Star Wars film. Is your head spinning a little bit? Are you asking lots of questions? Are you trying to poke holes in my arguments? Are you building all sorts of counter arguments? That would be good, because incredible stories cleverly told can lead us to believe something false. And false beliefs can lead us to a giant rabbit hole of bad thinking and wrong actions. We see this prevalent in our world today. Uh, And one of those wrong actions actually that you could be tempted to take right now is to spend the next 30 minutes thinking about E.T. and Star Wars instead of listening to the sermon. Please don't do that. Uh, but this is what we're looking at today in Second Peter chapter 2, how not to be duped, how to protect ourselves against false teaching, and what to do when we encounter it. Because Peter's going to show us a few things that false prophets and false teaching have been around since God's people have been following him, that false teachers are going to be among you, and what's even worse is they are more clever than we think and the stakes are really high. That's why we need to know our Bible. That's why you hear our pastors every week say, the Bible doesn't need to be a mystery, so let's open it together. Because we need to know the Bible, not only for what the Bible says, but so we can also clearly know what the Bible doesn't say. So, I do invite you to open your Bibles. We are in the book of Second Peter, which is almost all the way to the back of your Bible. If you're using the Bibles in the seat racks in front of you, it's page 1226, and we're in the NIV translation. 
Uh, But before we have the text read to us, uh, we need to pray. And so I invite you to pray with me this uh, prayer based on Ephesians 1. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way you reveal yourself to us through Scripture. Your promises and the truth of your word never change and never fail. As we look to your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us to wisdom and understanding. May our knowledge of you transform our hearts and our minds so that we might give you glory in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at our scripture read to us today by Sam Benson. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing them swift destruction to themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of the truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Okay, some pretty heavy stuff, heavy warnings. And so let's look at the text just piece by piece together. So it starts with, but there were also false prophets among the people. But the chapter starts with, but there, so I'll make sure we just back up a verse just so we kind of roll into the context here. Chapter 1, verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the origin is from God. But he then goes on, but there were also false prophets. So we had true ones and we had false ones. And uh, one of the passages that looks so similar to this was in Jeremiah 6. I'll put it on the screen for you. And it says, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain, prophets and priests alike. All practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No. They have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them. We're seeing similar things, greed, deceit, false, destructive teaching. And Peter's just reminding us this is not new to God's people. And he goes, but just as there will be false teachers among you. Okay, now it's getting real. And I know when I'm reading this, I'm like, hey, Peter, Stop being so gloom and doom, like Jesus came to save us. Stop freaking out so much. However, uh, when you look across the whole New Testament, there's a considerable amount of warning against this, against false teaching. I mean, just going to Jesus in the book of Matthew. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And then we see Paul talking to Timothy. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine... Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So we're seeing from Jesus to Paul to Peter, they want us to have our radars up. The common thread is there. And so we need to actually lean into the warning. Okay, continuing in verse 1. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Now, I want you to look at the word heresy right before it has the word destructive. And if you're like me, you're thinking, well, is there any other kind? Uh, And you might have these images of witches burned at the stake or the Inquisition and all these types of things about heresy, but I just want you to suspend all that for a second. We have to kind of erase our modern notion of heresy for a minute and kind of go back to its original context here. And heresy comes from the Greek word hieresis, which means choice, choosing, or opinion, particularly about a sect or a group, a faction. And Peter's making it clear that it's destructive. It's a destructive opinion to the point of denying God, the one who bought us. But it it is actually this passage that gave rise to the way that we do modernly use heresy, and that happened long before it came into English. But what we're seeing in this passage and throughout is Peter's addressing these teachers that are living these unrestrained, shameless lives And by doing so, and modeling it to the church, denying the Jesus that bought them. And Peter says, swift destruction, bringing swift swift destruction on themselves. Okay, continuing in verse 2. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. This kind of sounds familiar in our day and age. Uh, this, this depraved conduct, uh, this Greek word, aselgaia, it, it has a lot of meanings, but from unbridled lust, unrestrained, shameless, the stuff we were just talking about, it's, it's not good. And what's even worse is, you and I have seen, it, this brings the way of truth into disrepute. It reminds me of a, a recent conference I was at and listening to uh, Russell Moore, Christian theologian and speaker, um, and he's talking about the Christian leader habitual moral failure stuff. And he said, the actions of Christian leaders does not weaken the power of the gospel, but it weakens the effectiveness of the church's gospel witness, bringing the way of truth into disrepute. Okay, let's continue in the text. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. I mean, we just have to think health and wealth TV preachers here. Then, continuing, their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. That part as part of my study, I was looking at Jeremiah. There's this big scene in Jeremiah 28, Jeremiah against this false prophet, Hananiah, and Hananiah saying the false things, and Jeremiah saying what's true from the Lord, and Hananiah dies. And then just Hananiah sounded so similar to the name Ananias to me that I went and go looked up Ananias and Sapphira, and they're lying about the land, and, um, and he dies. And I'm like, I found out, oh, it's the same name. Hananiah, Ananias, it's just Hebrew, Greek, but it's the same name. So 
little nugget for you. Um, let's get to our question now. How to protect ourselves against false teaching? Well, the first thing we need to do is look for the signs of false doctrine. Look for the signs of false doctrine, false beliefs, false set of beliefs. And I'm going to spend the bulk of the sermon on this point, but I'm going to give the second point actually right away because these two are so linked together. Uh, the first one exerts power over the second one, which is to look for the signs of immoral conduct, and particularly habitual or denial of its immorality. And why do I say that they're unbreakably linked? Well, um, I love how this is kind of illustrated in a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. And so when we look at this, Calvin's like, do you believe our destinies are determined by the stars? Hobbes goes, nah. Calvin goes, well, I do. And Hobbes goes, really, how come? Calvin goes, well, life's a lot more fun when you're not responsible for your actions. <laughs> kind of false beliefs lead to immoral conduct. But here's what's interesting, is that the idea of there being false teaching should be obvious to all of us that there is also then true teaching, that truth exists, that there is truth, there's an ultimate truth. The idea of that is boggling to a lot of people in our world right now. They say there is no ultimate truth, which is ironic because they are trying to make a truth claim and saying there is no truth. Just let that circle in your mind for a little while. Peter looks at a false prophets first, and he's trying to remind the history of God's people in a few things, and we do learn some things on how to identify what is true or false by looking at how to determine a false prophet. So when we look back, the first way is really easy. Did the false prophet predict something that didn't come true? Ding, 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 false prophet. Okay, that's like the easiest test there. But what if they did predict something true? But then the next test is, are they encouraging you to follow after other gods or your own desires? Ding, 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 false prophet. And so think of today's day and age, all the, the you know, bad TV preachers predicting the end of the world, the coming of Jesus on this day at this time, and exactly, it's like nobody should be listening to those guys anymore. They failed the test. Or like uh, preachers selling ridiculous things for profit, like Peter Popoff and his miracle manna. I, I thought this guy went away. This guy's still selling this stuff. And he says he uses the same Old Testament recipe given him di directly by God. I'm just like, oh my goodness. Okay. But there's also, we have to look at immoral conduct and behaviors. And... I remember when I was in elementary school, uh, we were in a church and we went with to a church plant. And um, I, was, I was young and told this story later, but then I talked to my dad this week just to make sure I remember the details. So um, we went with this church plant with this pastor and his wife and uh, we went to their home and started this church plant. And the second week, then the pastor was there without his wife and told the church that he and his wife were divorcing, but it's okay, we're moving forward, and God's already arranged another woman that he's dating, that he's gonna be married to, and it's all gonna be good. <laughs> and it's like, that's pretty obvious, but my, my dad was like, he felt sucker punched. Like, this guy, 
is just going to move forward. I mean, so much so that he like called the person who ordained this person as a pastor, and the person who ordained him says, well, we don't really have any authority, so you should just leave the church. And it was pretty ugly. And um, part of the story that I didn't know was that um, another leader in the church, shortly after that, feeling boldened by that pastor's choice, divorced his wife to go after somebody else. Many will follow their depraved conduct. And you're thinking, okay, Jonathan, I'm, I'm pretty sure we can easily spot these things. TV preachers selling miracle manna and sexual misconduct that's not in line with scripture. Fair enough. I agree. However, but Jesus, Paul, and Peter are saying to us, radars up. It was all so obvious, would we really need to have our radars up? It, it reminds me of the movie Hunt for Red October. There's, uh, in, in the movie, if you haven't seen it, do that the first thing you do after you leave here today. Um, <laughs> but it's one of my all-top favorites. But anyway, it's about this Russian submarine that supposedly has developed a new technology to remain silent in the water. It can remain undetected because radar works to hear the propellers to make sure you avoid ships or if you're fighting to shoot ships. And um, this guy, Jonesy, is just hearing some anomalies and trying to lean into what's happening. And he has to really focus and really think about it and look at things that maybe seem like something else to figure out if this really is the ship or something else. And I, I think that's what New Testament's looking for us to do because the, the text says, secretly introduces fabricated stories. I mean, Romans 16, 18, Paul says that for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Now, uh, Doug Moo is a phenomenal contemporary theologian and commentator, and he helps us see particulars in the context of Second Peter. It reminds me a little bit of the, the warning lights, uh, if you remember Pastor John preaching a few weeks back on this, and he just helps us see this, some, some warning lights, like help us know what's actually happening. And what they look like are these false teachers, they're rejecting apostolic authority, or as we would see now, they're like denying scripture. Second, they're failing to recognize a sinful lifestyle for what it is. Some similar stuff we've talked about so far. Three, they're blasphemously discount the coming judgment. And fourth, they deny the Lord's return, which we'll see more clearly when we get to chapter three. But addressing this, just looking at the first one, anytime you see people kind of just slowly going, well, that scripture doesn't, that scripture, mm, that's a little bit of a warning light. Failing to recognize sinful lifestyle. Well, we see scripture leading us in a particular direction of what those things are and what they aren't. And so if they're totally disagreeing with scripture, I mean, those are connected. And three, blasphemously, blas I can't say that word today, blasphemously discount coming judgment. Um, this reminds me of actually a friend of mine who uh, is not a believer and I've shared the gospel with him, and I remember in a conversation him going, well, Jonathan, if I die and then I 
go before God and he was like, you didn't uh, accept my son Jesus as this gift and I'm, so you won't get to be with us and God's family. His response, he goes, well, I guess like, wow, really? Okay, bummer. It's just like really cavalier. Like he doesn't understand the gravity of this, how big God is that he made him and he loves him and saving them from the direction that we all go without Jesus. And then fourth, denying the Lord's return. Like I said, we'll, we'll look more at that uh, when we get to chapter three in a few weeks. But as you can see in all of this, scripture is our guide through and through. It's our number one to stay vigilant and defend against false doctrine, knowing our Bible spending time every day reading and reflecting on scripture. This is actually the thing that our radars should be most attuned to, which is scripture, because it helps, it helps tune our radar to detect teaching anomalies. Anomalies that deviate from scripture, that are inconsistent with scripture. Remember, secretly introduced, fabricated stories. It's like Hunt for Red October. We need to really pay attention, otherwise we might miss it. Okay, so what are some ways of knowing that, or ways that knowing scripture helps us detect anomalies? And I think one of the great ways we see is, um, there's a framework from Canadian pastor Tim Challies, who just, there's basically these big four questions of, what's the origin of the doctrine? What's the authority of the doctrine? And What's, um, is it consistent across all of scripture and it does it produce spiritual growth? So looking at those like one by one, what's the origin? That's why I pulled us back into uh, chapter one. Remember we said for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but sp spoke from God as they were carried along from the Holy Spirit. There's an origin test here. And secondly, where's the authority of the doctrine lied? Is it, is it in scripture or is it outside of it? Jesus has all the authority given to him. And 1 Timothy 3 says, all scripture is God breathed, it's authoritative. And uh, one of the things I love is the, the EFCA, the Evangelical Free Church of America, that's the affiliation our church is. Um, their doctrine of the Bible says this, it is, the Bible is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. It's a succinct, great way of saying it. But as we look at those first couple of tests, origin and authority, we know many teachers do appeal to both of those tests. So let's keep going. Thirdly, is it consistent across the whole story of God? Is it the same gospel? Do we see it consistent, the whole scripture? Scripture interpreting scripture. Is it causing attention? Is it easily refutable by other scripture? Is it reconcilable across the whole of scripture? And then finally, does it lead to spiritual growth in Christ-likeness? Does it pass everything above? And is it producing fruit? Like we saw a good tree producing good fruit. So this, I mean, I think this is a great start uh, to like sc how scripture tunes our radar, but I know a lot of you are thinking in terms of those things I just said. You're going, okay, Jonathan, but where is the line? Where, where are these lines? Because we have a lot of denominations, slightly different teaching on things. Where do we see it as crossing the line is heretical, and where is there charity and disagreement? That's a good question. Because it's true we would disagree or think something is false on uh, what someone believes on a particular issue, but is it heresy? 
Everything from just a minor opinion on worship music style, all the way to denying the Lord who bought you. Heresy, destructive heresy. I mean, this, this side of it would be like Jehovah Witnesses denying the deity or divinity of Christ. So let's look at that question together a little bit because um, we have to realize that people categorize doctrines differently, like first order, second and third order, primary, all the way to tertiary or essential and non-essential. And how you handle these categories actually sometimes puts you in a little of a camp, either the fundamentalist on one end or liberal on the other. And I personally think that the EFCA uh, handles this with excellence. We both seek to be clear on essential doctrines like the Trinity, Jesus' physical resurrection, saved by grace through faith. This is what Peter's getting at. But also seek charity in our disagreement on particular doctrines like Calvinism versus Arminianism, old earth versus young earth, premillennial versus postmillennial eschatology. If I lost you there, that's okay. And I'm not trying to say those things aren't important. But the EFCO motto has been in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, charity. In all things, Jesus Christ. It's a powerful motto. I love it. And why do we value this? Because we actually see that scripture leads us in that direction. We believe that there are essentials. That to deny them or to affirm something different is destructive heresy. But we also see a long history of disagreement on the interpretation of scripture, on particular theological positions, doctrines, allows us to have some charity for someone thinking different. See, Peter warns of the destructive heresies in this passage, and Paul in the other passage warns of people making unnecessary divisions. We have to manage the tension. I mean, think of the terms fundamentalism and liberalism we really are trying to avoid both extremes. Why? Well, let me, Jim, if you would, put that radar up on the screen here. We're talking about this radar and tuning our radar and all that stuff. And when we detect something maybe more out here, it's maybe more like a tertiary issue, a third order issue. But something that we detect really close, just like in a submarine, something really close, more dangerous than something very far away. And so uh, Greg Strand, who's our EFCA director of theology, talking about these two ideas, he said, the mark of true liberalism is the refusal to admit that first order theological issues even exist. Liberals treat first order doctrines as if they were merely third order in importance and doctrinal ambiguity is the inevitable result. Meaning everything is just on the outside. And uh, liberalism would say, whether Jesus physically or metaphorically rose from the dead doesn't matter. We can agree to disagree on that. Sorry, that's an essential for us. <laughs> uh, Paul makes it clear, 1 Corinthians 15, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. We can't agree to disagree and move on there. We must preach Christ resurrected. But on the flip side, Fundamentalism. Greg says this. Fundamentalism, on the other hand, tends toward the opposite error. 
The misjudgment of true fundamentalism is the belief that all disagreements concern first order doctrines. Thus, third order issues are raised to first order importance and Christians are wrongly and harmfully divided. I mean, that's putting everything in the center. I mean, making everything essential and brought to its logical end will make you a denomination of one. That is what will happen. We need to tune our radars to detect teaching anomalies. That's what Peter wants us to do. But we have to not make all anomalies of essential and first order importance causing unnecessary division. We have to have the radar to detect the false doctrine, but we need to then evaluate what level of importance it is in the whole of scripture. So we look for the signs of false doctrine. We look for the signs of immoral conduct, particularly, I said, habitual immoral conduct or denial of its immorality. And lastly, you need to hold fast to the sovereign Lord who bought you. Remember I said, Peter is saying that there is an ultimate reality. There's an ultimate truth. Jesus did die for us. He did rise from the dead. He is coming back for us. This is the gospel. This is good news. And to hold fast to someone is to be with them, to know them, to love them. We have the opportunity to hear from God every day. His word is by our beds and at our fingertips. We can read it in our language, study it in ancient languages, listen to it on an app or a website. I mean, we live in a time where it is so easy to engage with scripture, but it's even easier to not. But as we've seen today, there is a huge correlation between belief and behavior, between doctrine and doing. And we need not just to know intellectually the right answers up here, but let scripture guide our heart into fruit-filled lives. Good tree producing good fruit. Now, if you don't have something right now that's bringing you into scripture regularly, I mean, we have a great team of writers and editors that produce a daily devotional called Daily Life that can be just sent right to your email. You can sign up at the website right there. But we, we, we need to do this so that we know what the Bible says. Remember, it's what I was saying either. We, we need to know the Bible not only for what the Bible says, but so we can also clearly know what the Bible doesn't say. It's also tuning our radar. Because knowing scripture is actually getting to know God more and more. To know what he's like. To also know what, know what he's not like. And this changes us on the inside. It allows him to shape us into a good tree that produces good fruit. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work, but we have to give breath and time for God to do that work in us. And... I love how Mike Cosper, the author of Recapturing the Wonder, a great book, says this idea. He says, life oriented around the spiritual disciplines, like scripture reading and reflection, is not a pathway to become pleasing to God, but a pathway to experiencing the joy of God that is already ours in Jesus. In one of those other spiritual practices that does that, is when we celebrate communion each week. 
I'm going to invite you to take out the elements. We, we do this each time we gather to remember the Lord who bought us until he comes again. His saving work on the cross. I mean, communion is for those who have given their lives to Christ and we partake of the bread and the cup to remember his sacrifice of his body and his blood on the cross. The great reconciling work where he bought us. We do this to remember him until he comes again. He said, this is my body broken for you. And my blood shed for you. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. What a gift to us. Would you help us by your Holy Spirit continually to engage with your word that we would know who you are, what you're like, what story that we live in, God, I, I know I hear so many different stories and things of the world and things that I listen to that are dissonant with your story. To help us be focused on your story, the, the magnificent and incredible story that you are writing in human history and for eternity. Father, I pray if there's anyone that hasn't taken a step of faith to give their life over to you, to recognize that you did die for them on the cross, rose again, to give them new life, to be with you forever, that they would take a step now today and surrender their life to you. And God, that you just help all of us by your Holy Spirit to know who you are so that we can be good trees that produce good fruit. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.